everyone. Hope you had a great Memorial Day. Um, I'm sure everyone went out <laughs> and was able to do a number of different things, but we are blessed and I'm blessed to be able to speak to a dear friend, Jeff Locke, who is the pastor of Grace Alameda and he's a familiar face to so many of you. And uh, um, he's at his house and I'm in Zimbabwe. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have a cool background. <laughs> no, yours is cooler than mine, actually. <laughs> I, I mean, the only cool thing about this view is that I built that green wall. So, these hey, <laughs> Jeff, do you mind giving us an update of how are things at Grace Alameda? I mean, we've already talked about, it, but just for sure. everyone at Wellspring, because you know, Grace Alameda means a lot to us. To us as a just as a sister church, we're in mission together, yeah. not just in the Bay Area, but even in Africa. And so we care a lot. And so if you wouldn't mind just sharing, how are things? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for asking. Um, thanks for having me on. It's great to see everyone. I mean, I don't see you, but you see me. Um, <laughs> it's kind of the nature of, of preaching and, and ministry right now, right, Sam? I mean, it's like <laughs> you look into a camera and everybody sees us. Uh, yes. Me to thank thank God is, is by and large doing well. Um, so far, only a couple people have had their work affected by, mm. by the lockdown. Um, and even those folks have been, been able to make their way back into work, um, at least on a part-time basis with some mm. of the federal bailouts that have come through. Um, by God's grace, no one in our church has gotten sick thus far. Um, there was um, a family member, you all know, uh, many of you know, Nicole Choi, um, her yes. sister, um, Kathy was, um, I, I don't believe she was actually tested, but they're pretty certain okay. that she had the virus. Um, mm. Thankfully, she's recovered now. Um, but other than that, um, there's, there's obviously, we all miss each other. We miss being together. Mm. But, um, you know, by and large, our, even our single people aren't local for the most part anymore. They've all gone, mm -hmm. you know, wherever other family are living and, and mm. locked down with them. Um, Good. So, you know, we're we're thankful to to be in good shape that way yeah so actually right before the lockdown um grace alameda had moved from the previous location in the baptist church right and then started meeting at the crc church at 4 p.m met there for two weeks and then the lockdown happened the shelter in place happened and uh um Recent developments, and the only reason I say that is we want to pray for you, and we want to pray for Grace Alameda. We'll definitely be praying in this process. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have been just uniquely um, taken care of by God through this time. We did lose our building um, that we were meeting in for three plus years before um, coronavirus hit, and um, we met at the CRC for two weeks in the afternoons, um, the, the church that we were at before um, the, the most recent building. And then uh, we started going online like everybody else. But mm -hmm. uh, it's been a real providence of God because one, we don't have a long-term lease. And so that expense has just gone away entirely for the time being, mm -hmm. um, which is a huge blessing to us. And it's also given us the opportunity to look a little bit a little bit more broadly for for buildings and um, we found something that we think will look will, will work potentially well with us we we haven't decided as to whether or not to pursue it yet uh, we actually have um, our elders are meeting this week to discuss that um, but we're mm. excited about the possibilities and are hopeful that you know if this if this possibility works out that we 
be able to not move back to the CRC, but actually move into a building that um, we yeah. had views of all week long, um, which would be really wonderful. That would be exciting. Yeah, we'll definitely be praying that. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. And, uh, you know, as we both have been talking about is that the Lord is just providentially throughout this process, even though it's it's not been easy, but he's still there. He's still faithful. And yeah, um, yeah no, so, well, today we are going to talk about heaven. Um, it's a topic that I love to talk about. Um, like you preached a series in Revelation. Mm -hmm. um, last year I preached a series actually on heaven. And so, and, you know, did you take a class in seminary on Revelation? Yes. Yes. You did. One of my favorites. You did. <laughs> yes. I did too. And uh, I remember the professor, he said, the first thing he said was, revelation is singular, not plural. <laughs> <laughs> and his name was Greg Beal. <laughs> and that was one of the first things he said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm excited to just, just to be able to engage with you on this. Oh, by the way, Toby says, Jeff Locke and Pastor Sam and Wine Tree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, that's not wine country. That's actually, those are, that's a tea plantation in Zimbabwe. So it's all tea, tea plants. That's cool. Yeah. It's not vineyards. It's all tea. Yeah. It is really beautiful. Have you been there? But do you mind if I pray for us? Place? I have been there. Yes. We stayed in this place that's literally right in the middle of that. Cool. Yeah. No, it's, it's, and I ran in there. It's a, in the middle of it. It's a, it's, Pretty interesting. <laughs> you mind if I pray for us? Please do. Father, thanks so much for my dear brother, Jeff. Thank you for, um, yeah, just this fellowship that we have because of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he is the means by which we have life, which we have hope. Um, and I thank you that even in the midst of all this turmoil, that you've shown yourself to be faithful and, and providential in so many different ways. Uh, we thank you for the ways in which you've led Grace Alameda, um, especially through a very difficult transition of not being able to meet at the building that they met at for three and a half years. And yet you were there um, through trials and you led them. And I pray for this opportunity, if it's your will, Lord, that you would uh, open the doors, pave the way. Oh God, we just really lean on you and trust in you in this. Um, I pray as we think and consider the glories of what it means to be with you eternally, that you would give us both insight into your word and a, a longing for what is to come, what is to be our eternal home. And whatever we experience here, we're, we're mindful of it, as Paul writes about Romans 8, as the earth groaning. And there will be a day where that groaning will end and where our hope in heaven will rest forever and ever with you. So thank you. I, I pray that it would be a, this time would be an encouragement both to uh, myself, to Jeff, and to all those who would be listening. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jeff, um, you know, as you uh, were working through Revelation, I mean, it's a, it's a grand book. I think most Christians, you know, there's a lot of misinterpretation about Revelation and the book of Revelation. And do you mind just giving a, a, 
a background as to what you thought of as you were going through it, you know, as you were reading what John wrote, what he saw, and how you feel as though, you know, as God was, as the Holy Spirit was just leading you through that series, what did he show you most? Like, what are some of the broad themes and how did that impact yourself, the church, the view of the world, view of the world to come? I mean, that was a lot of big questions. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> just throw it all out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, I think what, what drew us to Revelation initially, right, is as, as the, the shelter in place order was given, we realized early on that we, it was going to be a while before we got to be together again, that this was going to be such a huge disruption to our life together as the church that we, we were going to have to find a way to not only lead through that, but, but give encouragement and comfort um, to, to all of us to receive that from God's word uh, through this season. And, and Revelation felt like a good place to go because, uh, you know, as you know, the Apostle John was exiled on the island of Patmos um, because he'd been preaching the gospel. The authorities had taken him out of society and put him on an island somewhere. And um, he was divorced from the church, it seems like. You know, he, he didn't have the, the chance to be with the churches in mm. Philadelphia or Laodicea, which he likely had, you know, relationships with. And yeah. so being divorced from God's people was John's situation. And here all of us are, are being divorced from mm. each other by this, this, this virus. Mm -hmm. And so it seemed like a good place to go just situationally. Mm. And, and then the encouragement, the actual message that God gave to John in the midst of his sheltering in place. Uh, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Was, yeah. But yeah. the message was one of such, of such hope and encouragement, right. and peace. Um, mm. And, and rather than, I think, you know, as you, you mentioned, like revelation often gets misinterpreted. Um, I think, it gets misinterpreted in a dark and and uh, sinister way. Um, mm. You better start believing, or else all of these terrible things are going to come. And and it is true that there will be a judgment, and and we mm -hmm. need to to proclaim that. Um, but there is so much peace and so mm. much packed into Revelation. Mm. Um, we started with with chapter one, where where Christ appears to John mm -hmm. as you know this this shining glorious son of man you know, harkening back to Daniel chapter seven, and, mm -hmm. and then, you know, uses the voice like a trumpet, which goes all the way back to Mount Sinai, where God's mm. people hear this voice, and they're like, no, no, please, please don't, don't let us ever hear that voice again. Moses, you talk to us. We don't ever want to hear that voice. We'll die. Um, that's what John hears, but then what John sees is Christ in his glory, mm. and he's standing among the lampstands, which are mm. representative of the churches. So mm. even in the midst of a dark and difficult time, a time of persecution, um, Christ is with his people and his people are with him. And that's, that's a, a real tangible, you know, visceral thing in the book of Revelation. It's, mm. it's, it's tangible in a way that almost isn't uh, anywhere else in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. mm. No, that's good. So for, as you're considering John, you know, in Revelation, Specifically, you know, you, you probably spend some time um, talking about the churches, right? Mm -hmm. What's the takeaway from, I mean, there's a lot of different messages and, and their churches are very different from each other mm -hmm. with different problems, sure. different challenges. What is it that Jesus is saying to the church then 
that he's saying to us now. Yeah. I think what comes across again and again and again in those letters is, uh-huh. you know, Christ is personally connected to, personally relating to those specific places. He knows them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is, is speaking to their specific needs, to their specific situations, you know, whether it's lukewarmness that they need mm-hmm. to of, uh, whether it's persecution that they need comfort through. Um, he is, he is with them. He's, he's meeting with them in, mm-hmm. in um, their distress, in their, in their situation. And I, I think, again, like it just kind of comes back and back and back for me to his presence and, and that, that, that angle of heaven you know, we think of heaven as such like a, an other place. It's, it's over mm-hmm. there. It's for, for later on, it's for the future, but there is this sense in which, you know, Paul says in Philippians three, that, that our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await mm-hmm. a, a kingdom Right. that, that we are right now. Our, our home is heaven and we are exiles and strangers. We, we aren't, you know, at home yet, mm-hmm. but because the Holy spirit is present with us mediating Christ's presence to us, mm-hmm. we are even now in heaven. Mm-hmm. And we don't, we're not there fully and we're not, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, completely mm-hmm. arrived mm-hmm. by any means. Um, but there's a deep comfort and peace that comes knowing that like heaven and earth come together in the temple throughout the old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. Heaven mm-hmm. and earth come together in the tabernacle. They come together in the temple. And now they, now we are temples of the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. Now heaven and earth come together in the people of God. Mm-hmm. Not me individually necessarily, but like mm-hmm. me, us, the church is the place where heaven and earth meet. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's like the message that, that Christ is giving to the church again and again and again is you're not living like this is true. Mm-hmm. This is the truth. You are my people. I am with you now. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, no, that's good. Chapters four and five are sort of that window into really, you know, what is heaven? Um, in terms of uh, the picture, there's so much to cover in that. I'm sure you have, I mean, you've preached through it. You probably uh, have had to cut away a lot because if you were going to really cover it, it would take much longer than one message or two messages, right? right? So maybe in, the, in some sense, this is an opportunity to delve a little deeper. Like, what did you see in chapters four and five that really strike at you? And, you know, I'm looking at it right now and I'm, I'm seeing just, I mean, there's a lot of imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that's going on. Mm-hmm. And what, like, what are some of your thoughts? And if you mind sharing that, and maybe I could just jump in with you here and there when you, after yeah. you share. One of the things about, about the book of Revelation, I'm sure you heard this from Dr. Beale. Um, he's the one I heard it from too. So (laughs) um, he talks about how there is, there are more allusions and quotations of the Mm -hmm. Old Testament in Revelation Mm -hmm. than the book Mm -hmm. of the New Testament. And so it it only makes sense to to try and understand Revelation in the light of the images that it's referring to back in the Old Testament. Right. And so, you know, even just like opening up in in you know chapter four it's again it's that voice like a trumpet which goes back yeah. to Mount Sinai where the God's people were afraid to hear God's yeah. voice. Yes. Um, you know there's this throne in heaven and and you kind of you're back with different prophets like Isaiah or specifically here Ezekiel um, who sees mm-hmm. you know something like the appearance of the glory of the the, the throne of God or God himself mm-hmm. um, and there's a rainbow there um, mm-hmm. rainbow mm-hmm. Like 
green and red maybe it's like christmas colors <laughs> um, but but it's not it's you know again it's not like it's not a rainbow it's it's like this this bright glorious appearance of god yes um so we're, we're seeing like john is having this prophetic experience just like the the prophets would have he's, mm -hmm. he's being welcomed into god's throne room um mm. and you know the 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 24 thrones with with 24 elders and then the four living creatures that are that are there around god's throne you know i i you know read that and, and see 24 the numbers in revelation are largely they're, they're, they're calling our attention to something else, right? Yes. Like the numbers aren't there to look at the, okay, what does 24 mean? What does 24 mean? Yes. Does 24 means something else from, from that the rest of the Bible is going to tell us about. Yeah. And, yes. You know, if you think 12 is two times or 12 is, is two times 12 is 24, there's 12 tribes in Old Testament Israel. Everybody in Old Testament Israel had a tribe that they belonged to that I identified mm -hmm. with Judah or Benjamin or whatever. And then in, in the New Testament, we, of course, have the 12 apostles. The, mm -hmm. Number 12 is so important to the apostles that when Judah mm -hmm. died and, and betrayed Christ, um, they had to replace him with Matthias because 12 was mm -hmm. essential. Um, mm -hmm. And then at the end of the book of Revelation in, in 21, when the New Jerusalem comes out of heaven, um, you have 12 gates that have the names of the 12 tribes inscribed on them. Mm -hmm. And then you have these 12 foundations. I don't know how you have 12 foundations, but there's 12 foundations. <laughs> And they all have the names of the, the 12 apostles. Yeah. So it's not a stretch, I think, to say that these 24 elders are representative of the church of God, the people of God in both mm -hmm. Old and New Testaments, gathered mm -hmm. there, worshiping at his throne. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, like, to me, that, that makes me, it's funny because it makes me excited for church again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like knowing that what we do every Sunday mm -hmm. is participating in all of creation, which I think is what the four living creatures represent, but all of creation, everything in all the universe gathered around the throne of God, worshiping and bowing down before him. And they don't look bored. You know, I think like <laughs> the things about heaven, it's like, it, it, yes. it, it feels like, oh, am I going to do anything? Am I going to have any fun? Um, there's no more marriage. That's no fun. There's no more this, there's no more that. But, but like, they look like they're having an amazing time. Mm -hmm. in the presence of the creator of all pleasure of all joy of all delight and if it if it you know god's right hand are pleasures forevermore you know psalm 16 then you know we should want to be in his presence and i think we get to be something more in his presence when we gather in worship on sundays mm -hmm. we're closer to his presence than we would be throughout the rest of the week and that's I, why sun, one reason why sunday isn't so important yeah yeah. Um, so it makes me like stoked for church. You know? Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I have a couple of questions um, to follow up with that. One is what does that say about um, the way that we're worshiping now, mm. which is, you know, I look at a, like I'm worshiping, at least you're going to a building. I'm not, not that <laughs> I worship I'm church is about a building, but you're going there. I'm assuming you're meeting some people, even if it's someone who's running the like two other people there. Yeah, yeah two other people. <laughs> I'm looking at my family. Right, right. You got you got more than two. <laughs> <laughs> I did have one of them. <laughs> but boy, it just makes me long for it makes me long to be together here, even on earth. But then it does point forward to what you just described here in, in chapter four is this idea of 
being together with the people of God. And I think in many ways, this time of being apart, we, we took for granted so much of what it means to gather as God's people. You know what I mean? It's like, I think it's, it just, you don't think much is happening because it's happening so regularly and we get used to it. We take it for granted, but boy, we're, we're missing something and it's pretty dramatic. And that's only a, that's, that's still only a shadow of what is to come. Right. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. I, I mean, I, that's my mind went exactly the same place. Honestly. Mm. I, I mean, the fact that, you know, I've been going to church nearly every Sunday since I was a little boy mm -hmm. and to not have the ability to do that with God's people. Um, I think it, it is something that you get lulled to sleep with. You just take it for granted. Oh, it's another Sunday. Here we go again. Um, but I mean, I want to say I'll never say that ever again. I can't say that <laughs> as a sinner. <laughs> I likely will say that someday again. But what I what I think this time helps us to to do is actually understand where we are a little bit better, mm -hmm. because we all like we should be longing for that day. We should be longing for the throne of God. We should be longing for His presence. We should be longing to see Jesus, like, mm -hmm. to see Him face to face. Yes. And how often would do we long for another snack, or how often do we long for our kids yes. to? Or how yes. often do we long to get back to that show we've been streaming? Um, we don't long for Christ in the way that, you know, at least Revelation seems to make it clear we should. Mm. And this time where we're missing each other, missing gathering as, as the church, I think we're, we're all hopefully to, to, to different, different degrees, but we're all missing that. And I think it's teaching us a little bit in a way that we wouldn't have learned otherwise. Right. What it, what it should look like for us to long for, for that day. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I long to get back. We, we had a, a, a socially distanced in our cars tailgating party this afternoon uh, with some folks from our community group. And it was so good to see people like it was just wonderful to see people's faces, even if they had masks on, it was great to like eat our own food next to other people who are also mm -hmm. eating their food. Um, there's, there's so much richness to fellowship that we, again, take for granted, mm -hmm. but like our longing for that right now is just like a small taste of what our, our hearts should long for because mm -hmm. the joy of Christ's presence and the presence of all creation around his throne is that much greater yes. than what we have when we get together with friends for, for a drink or, or get together with, with one another on Sunday. Right. Yeah. No, it's a, what a reminder of all that, all that we have, you know, and all that we look forward to. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned that a number of these images come from the old Testament, a lot of them from Ezekiel, Zechariah. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, uh, you know, just, I mean, we, we took a class on it um, from probably one of the most prominent scholars on Revelation, right? But, you know, the, the person who maybe isn't trained or how do you not read this? Because um, the temptation is to read it so literally, right? Sure. And that's generally how many people have grown up in the church. 
Right. And especially probably if you're maybe from more of a dispensational background or, a, mm-hmm. you know, and even if you're not from a dispensational background, but you, there are even reformed churches that actually still teach things very literally. And mm-hmm. so the question is, how do you rightly read Revelation? Because that hermeneutic, you know, is so important mm-hmm. to get the main thrust of this or else you go off in a completely different direction with this book. Right. No, that's a great question. Um The thing that excites me about Revelation, especially because it's so saturated in the Old Testament, is that it, it, it sets my imagination on fire with what it would have been like to read the Bible in the early church. Mm-hmm. Because we don't, we don't understand what they had in the early church. You know, the first century, you know, Revelation was probably written in around 90-ish. Um, so mm-hmm. 50, 60 years after Christ had died and risen. Um, so one generation has grown up maybe in the church, maybe one generation's grown up at this point. Um, but the only book that they had in the, in the building was the Old Testament, mm-hmm. maybe a gospel, maybe a letter or two, but you're, you're not, you don't have a, a nice, thick, big Bible like we have. And you uh-huh. certainly don't get to take it home with you. Yes, and and so I, I really love the early church. I think there's a lot of, about the early church that's that's rich and exciting and and very foreign to our way of thinking, which I think is mm-hmm. helpful because we're not supposed to be conformed to the thinking of this world, but our mm-hmm. minds be transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of one one resource I think we have for that is to read older Christians and and understand mm-hmm. what they thought about these things. So there's there's a church father in the 90s in Rome named Clement, and he wrote a couple of letters to the church in Corinth, and all of his images or all of his quotations come from either the book of Matthew, the book of Romans, the book of First Corinthians. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's basically those three books mm-hmm. and all of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the lampstands and the showbread in the temple and all these. Like he's talking about the temple in the Old Testament, which is so boring to read about, right? You read this 25. <laughs> And you're like, okay, can we stop describing the tabernacle, please? <laughs> um, but like 15 chapters all about the tabernacle. It's like, come on, I have, I'm out there. I don't see it. It's, 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 it's boring uh-huh. for us because we can't imagine it like they would have. But the earliest Christians, this was their scriptures. This is what they had. Mm-hmm. And the temple was especially important to them. The tabernacle, the temple, mm-hmm. Mount Sinai, the Garden of Eden, that was really important to them because that was where God met with his people. God was Mm -hmm. present with his people in those places in a way he was present nowhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. And so they, they looked at the temple, they looked into the tabernacle and and tried to understand what God's presence was like there. And, and so I read this, sorry, I know I'm I'm coming back around. No, no, no. Uh, I know. Please keep on going. (laughs) So, so we read, so I read revelation and it, it does seem weird. It seems foreign. It's hard. But it's because my imagination isn't saturated in the Old Testament like a first century Christian's imagination. Mm. The only time I could have heard the Bible was at Sunday worship, probably. The only, the only you know, passages that I would have heard apart from, again, one gospel, a couple letters maybe, would have been Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. And so they would have been soaked in it and they wouldn't have understood mm. the Old Testament either. 
But the way that they understood the Old Testament was that Christ put it all together. Everything came together around Christ, even if it was some weird random, like Clement in that in one of his letters says that Rahab letting the scarlet thread down out of the walls of Jericho to tell the, the attacking Israelites not to not to come into her house, mm-hmm. that, that her letting the scarlet thread out of her house was like the, the, the blood coming out of Jesus's side <laughs> on the cross. And you're like, I don't know. About that. That's kind of weird. But but to him at least, it uh-huh. made a lot of sense because he was looking for Christ everywhere. Yes. And we don't want to take flights of fancy and and, uh-huh. and you know do whatever we want with the Bible, which which we might be in danger of talking about Rahab and, and Jesus' side. But but to come back to Revelation, because their imagination was so saturated in the old testament. Mm they couldn't have read a rainbow around the throne of God without immediately thinking of Ezekiel. They mm-hmm. couldn't have read these images and all, it's all images. The whole thing is images. They couldn't have read these images and thought, huh, how could a lion also be a lamb? I don't understand. Did the lion have a head of a lamb? Did it have the, like they weren't taking it that way. Mm-hmm. Because they knew the Lion of Judah was prophesied about by Jacob in Genesis mm-hmm. 49. Mm-hmm. They knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world because of John the Baptist. They knew that the Lamb of God took away sin because of the Passover. They, they, they had all of these images all stored up in their minds because they'd read the Old Testament very thoroughly. And they knew that it was all answered by Christ. And Christ himself said that he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. That all mm. the scriptures speak about him. So again, reading Revelation, you don't want to put the images literally next to one another as if John was predicting helicopters or something that in that Mm -hmm. that manner, because it's just like helicopters aren't about Jesus. I mean, I guess they are in some respect that he's the creator, but like, but you don't make Revelation (laughs) about helicopters. Revelation is about Jesus. Yes. Helicopters are not in Revelation, but they can be about Jesus too, if we can find a way to Yeah. Yes. No, that's good. It's, um, it's interesting how, and I wanted to, um, wanted to cover the latter part of Revelation a little bit later. Um, well, coming soon, because we don't have, we don't have that much time, but, um, but there's, again, we're trying to like, in a sense, cover the whole of the book of Revelation in an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not, but I am interested in like, another thing is that John's reaction in this book is Mm -hmm. just so interesting. You know, like you said, here he is, the church is being persecuted. It's one of the reasons why he's been exiled on Patmos, probably died there, an old man. Um, And, but when he is, I mean, he must've been so, it must've been hard. I mean, think about for us where we are, you know what, it's been two months, maybe three months. We're in a nice house. We have the food we want. We can go out for runs or walks. Uh, John is on this island by himself, right. most likely, and uh, it would have been incredibly difficult. And then, of course, there are a lot of other Christians who have suffered immensely, yeah. you know. And yet, he's praying and wanting the Lord to come talk to him and speak to him. And he comes in this dramatic way, and it says um, he weeps loudly in verse uh, chapter five, verse four, because no one's found you know, where to open the scrolls. In early in chapter one, he falls down as though he's dead. Uh, there's, he just has a lot of response. 
like when you think about someone who encounters the risen Lord uh, in this way, how, why is it so, why is it, I mean, so startling to John, especially considering the fact that he walked with Jesus for three years, he saw the resurrected Christ. And yet in this chapter, it's so different. So right. what do you think? I mean, I think his response, I, I mean, it, it, again, like parallels the prophets in so many ways, right? Like mm -hmm. Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne, high and lifted mm -hmm. up uh, in uh, chapter yes. six. And he, you know, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Um, you know, it's it's very common for, you know, Moses does the same thing where where he's you know in awe of of God's presence and is like no no please don't send me I can't I can't speak for you God there's no way um, it's it's you know Peter when he realizes when Jesus gives him the miraculous catch of fish in in, in the book of Luke yes. says depart from me Lord for I am a sinful man uh -huh. Uh -huh. there's there's a part yeah. of it I think that's that's it's natural for us when we're when we as creatures encounter the God who made us um, to, to fall down and be undone and be unable to, to stand. Mm -hmm. And we can't, we can't stand in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. No one can see him and live. Um, but I, I think the, the, the cool thing about his response in, in chapter five mm -hmm. is his weeping and lamentation is over the fact that no one is worthy to open the scroll. Mm. The scroll that's in the, the right hand of the Father who's seated on this throne. Mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. doesn't describe the Father. Yes, um, yes. It's, it's the radiance of the throne that he's kind of describing. Yes. And, and, and the Father's right hand is extended, and it has, a, it has a scroll. It has this book, and it's sealed with seven seals, and no one is worthy to open the scroll. Mm. And he weeps and laments. Because like it says in, in Revelation 8, all creation is groaning with eager expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. We, we're, we're longing, all of us are longing for justice. We're all longing for relief from the suffering and pains of this life. Mm -hmm. and, and John, probably more than most, because he's unjustly exiled and suffering apart from his family and friends, is, is longing for that day. And, and mm -hmm. throughout the Psalms, it's how long, O oh Lord? When will you, when will we, where are you, God? When will you show mm -hmm. up? Why do the wicked prosper? And so he, he sees God's plan, God's plan mm -hmm. for redemption that he, that he formed before the foundation of the world. And it's sealed up with seven seals and nobody's worthy to open it. Mm -hmm. And he mourns and weeps and laments and mm -hmm. falls down, um, you know, crying. And it's it's then that he's that he's comforted because it's then that the that the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, who is the Lamb of God, who was slain, um, is is found yes. worthy, worthy because yes. he died. He's worthy because yeah. he sacrificed yes. for us. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so interesting how you know the that Revelation chapter five speaks very specifically of Jesus described as this slain Lamb. And he's worthy because it's very easy to think, okay, when Jesus is in glory at the right hand of the father, he is going to be this, um, like we're not going to remember the, you know, his weakness, his, his suffering, his, just all that he went through to, to save us. 
But clearly in this chapter, it we will remember it. In fact, it'll be front and center. Why do you well, think that is the case? Yeah, we sing about why. Why is that the case? Because you would think, because it, it's very easy to think, you know, the sort of the Christus Victor, you know, the that he is, and that is a part of, you know, the this part of um, the picture of who Jesus is. He is the victorious one. But to think of him as the slain lamb in heaven, worshiping, where we're worshiping, where we're singing. I, to me, that speaks a lot. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, it's all, it's almost like in the cross, like everything comes together, right? Like the fact that the son of God, the second person of the Trinity would humble himself to take on our flesh for one thing is so incredible. I mean, when you think mm -hmm. about the fact that like, you know, what it's like to have a body, especially as you get older, um, you know, <laughs> the things yes. that work, the things that you want to Oh, be yes. You know? <laughs> like, yes, yes. Fact, you know, the son of God humbled himself to the point that he had bedhead, um, you know, <laughs> like morning breath, like things like that. that and all like, the other stuff. All yes. the other stuff. It's uh, there's a lot yes <laughs> and 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 i don't know about you but like i am not the kind of person that is especially excited for all of the all the physical pains and aches and and all the inconveniences of having a body like if i didn't have to eat i wouldn't eat yeah. if i didn't have to sleep i wouldn't sleep and jesus didn't have to do any of those things mm -hmm. he didn't have to go through anything he never had to walk anywhere he never had to, yes. you know, get on an uncomfortable cart. He never had to sit in traffic, but he submitted himself to that. Mm -hmm. And he did that for our, he took on all of that for us, but that's not all, you know, like he, it's not, it's mm -hmm. not just that he took on our flesh and dwelt among us. It's that he then lived the perfect life, a life completely submitted to God, a life in absolute communion with the father. And he never broke any of God's laws. And that, that again, that's just like unfathomable mm. that he would stay so close to God and have such a, an awareness of the father, such a love for the father that he would never put his will above God's. Yes. I mean, how many times do we like, I know I should obey. I know I should do this thing that God's called me to do but right now. I just feel like this. Mm. And, Think of all the times that you've done that and all the times that you've done that today. And then imagine all the times you've done that over your life and, and try and fathom the fact that Jesus never did that. Never. Mm. But then that's not all still. Because the one who perfectly was righteous mm -hmm. submitted himself to death for us. Mm -hmm. um, that, that he perfectly holy, perfectly awesome, the creator of all things, the word through whom all things were created, in him all the universe consists, that he would submit himself to death, that he would let himself go through the ridicule and the shame and the suffering, mm. and then let himself be killed to be the sacrifice that our sins um, deserved. I mean, all of that, like, is, it, to me, like, on the one hand, like, it makes sense that Christ would be so like glorious and high and lifted up. And he is, he, he's exalted even now at the father's right hand, but to get there, like the process wasn't one of 
you know, riding in on a white horse conquering. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was being born in humility and, and suffering throughout his mm-hmm. life until, until the ultimate act of suffering in his death. Yeah. Um, it, that's, what, that's what all of history is about. Like, yeah. Everything in the universe is about the cross. You know, like, like that's yeah. what it's about. And, and I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of it. I think we'll spend 10,000 years in heaven you know, worshiping and, and studying and, and just gazing on mm-hmm. Christ and who he is mm-hmm. and never be satisfied, never yeah. have our appetites satiated. Yes. Still more. Yes. Yes. Amen. Okay. So Jeff, I'm going to run through a, a, a number of different points in Revelation, right? I know we were going to talk about heaven, but you know, this is about Revelation. But I feel like there's a, I'm just going to talk about some of the more quote controversial things about Revelation. So chapter seven. Okay. So chapter seven, mm-hmm. uh, the 144,000, right? right? It's perhaps, I mean, there's a number of texts in Revelation that are vastly misunderstood mm-hmm. i feel like chapter seven is a big one and the main reason is because there's a lot of cult groups actually that right. are founded on the idea that okay there's 140 at the end of the days there's going to be 144,000 is going to be standing on a mountaintop wearing white robes mm-hmm. and they're going to be called as the true israel who's going to be sealed and who are going to be saved ultimately who are the one like they're the ones right and so I believe uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe this. I think there's like some Adventist groups that have, usually there's always these groups that try to predict Jesus' coming and usually do it on the basis of some sort of numerology and Revelation is always a part of it, right? Trying to figure out the numbers. You know, as, so what is chapter seven about? I mean, it's why the numbers there? Because it's, it's such a very specific number. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And yet, another thing is, so um, that's my first question, why the numbers? And then the second is, in in verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed. So I'd love to hear what you think about the idea of what what is the new heavens and the new earth? What does that look like from the concept of, um, all the different peoples who speak different languages coming together. What does that look like? What do you, what can you imagine that being? And how significant is that for us in the way that we think of ethnicity um, and the way we think of different peoples from different tribes, tongues, and nations, even today, and how we as a church speak into that or try to understand this uh, this eternal concept that should make a difference in how we live today and how we treat each other. So yeah. I'd love to, so those are two big, very different questions. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think like you kind of put your finger on it in verse nine because there's this pattern in revelation. So in verse one or in chapter one, there's like, I heard the voice like a trumpet, right? Mm-hmm. The Sinai voice. And then I turned and saw the son of man, one like a son of man standing among the lampstands. Mm-hmm. In chapter four, it's, I heard the voice like a trumpet come up here and I turned and saw. So there's a lot of hearing and then they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And every time John hears something, what he hears is always interpreted by what he sees. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that that speaks to the nature of heaven and, and the nature of our life on earth here, because we, we live in a time of hearing and really hearing only, right? We don't, we don't see Christ. We don't see the spirit. We don't see God, the father. We are relegated to hearing these things. And, and Jesus calls us blessed because we haven't seen, but have believed. But I think the revelation seven is like, falls right within that pattern of, I heard, so he says, uh, what is it? He heard the loud voice in verse two saying, do not harm, you know, these, these, uh, do not, do not harm the earth or the sea of the trees until we've sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Mm-hmm. Then verse four, I heard the number of the sealed 144,000. They didn't see 144,000. He heard 144,000. Mm-hmm. And then verse nine, after this, I looked, so he hasn't seen the multitude yet. He hasn't seen the 144,000. Mm-hmm. And then in verse nine, he turns and looks. And it's a number. It's a number that can't be named. You can't mold. You can't. Yes. Be yes. So he hears one hundred forty-four thousand, but then he sees a vast multitude mm. bigger than anything that anybody could possibly count. So right there, like, it's yes, already undermining the idea that there's one hundred right. thousand old. Yes. Yes. Right? So, so right out the gate, if you if you're yes. understanding the book on its own terms, you can't take the numbers in that literalistic kind of way. Yes. Yes. Which really is such a, it does so much damage to the church, to uh, our understanding of scripture yeah. and, and pretty much every, like every cult group has taken that idea yeah. and led people astray in dramatic ways and sometimes to terrible consequences. Right. So no, that's well, a really great point. And, and, and I mean, it, it undermines what the whole, what the whole <clears throat> like list of the tribes is trying to say, you know, you have, you know, Gad and Asher way up high on the list of the tribes, but they were, they were children of the concubines, not, not the, not Rachel and Leah, like Judah's first and Judah's never first in the genealogy of Israel, but he's first because Christ is the lion of Judah. And then you have, you know, way up high, you have, you know, Gad and Asher and Naphtali who are sons of, uh, Bilhah and, and Zilpa, you know, who are the, the hammer. Anyway, like it's 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 mm-hmm. it's another way of representing that the last will be first and the first will be last. That the kingdom mm-hmm. of God isn't about the exalted first; it's about the the marginalized last. And so, you know, like it's it's not about the numbers. The numbers are, you know, it's twelve times twelve, twelve mm-hmm. times twelve thousand, twelve thousand times twelve thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the, yeah, but it, it is what you said earlier, right, Jeff? Which is that. The point of the number 12 is to show God's chosen people, right. like his people. Right. And he's using that very specific number, 12 times 12 or 12 tribes, 12,000, mm-hmm. to show that these are God's people. Mm-hmm. And But God's people is a great multitude. Yep. But you have to, but Revelation is trying to make the point of this is God's you know, he's his elect people. He's the ones he's chosen. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. I really like the way that you um, talk about the idea of the hearing, but yeah, he's looking and he doesn't hear 144,000 people. Right. Something far, far, far greater than that Maybe number. That. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not like the Romans didn't know how to count, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like they were, they were a sophisticated culture. It's not yeah. like they couldn't count. He's not, he's not, you know, oh, it's, it's, you know, 110 billion. I, I don't know. Like it's, so I, I think like 
what then like you know kind of your second question about like every tribe and, and nation yeah. and languages and peoples um this is one that i think is it's probably hard for all of us right i mean it's hard for me to think that like there are going to be so many people who are so different from me uh, <laughs> you know like, yeah. i like myself and i don't like a lot of other people you know? uh, <laughs> but like the 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 recognition that like god in his in his generosity in his in his great you know love that stretches from east to west mm. is welcoming all people to himself and, and jesus mm. said that right like when i stretch out my arms I, when i'm lifted up all i will draw all people to myself and john mm. said Mm-hmm. And so, you know, here he is, all people being drawn to himself. Mm-hmm. And we've tried to do this as the human race. We tried to do mm-hmm. this at Babel, where we brought all people together and built something that we would lift ourselves up. Mm-hmm. And as we lift ourselves up, then we will all come together around the work of our hands and we will be like God reaching up into heaven. Mm-hmm. God confused our languages and dispersed us across the world. And now Christ is in a sense, the true Babel, you know, mm. and around the cross, around Jesus yes. being enthroned, all yes. people, all tribes and, and nations and, and yeah. languages are going to come together around yeah. the of Christ. Yes, yes. Worship him. Yeah. And and I think, uh-huh. this is like, you know, not to, not to get too political about it, but mm-hmm. like being a white American man, um, I have a certain privilege and I've been raised in a world where I have the right to think of the world as revolving around me mm-hmm. because America is the biggest nation. And of course, America is my people. And yeah, sure, other people can come here, um, but that's just because we're so great, right? <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's hard not to read the Bible as if you're the center of it. I think that's true for all people. Yes, yes. I think it's especially true for people who look like me. And people who, have, who come from the culture that I come from, and like it takes a it takes a a certain willingness to I don't know like have your mind changed again like the renewing of your mind to mm. to submit yourself to what God's word says and and humble yourself before the word because the 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 message that I've heard even not explicitly it's not like you know I was raised in a, in a KKK family or anything. <laughs> Uh, but, 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 but even the implicit, you know, uh-huh. that I, I was raised with uh-huh. would say, I have the right to assert myself. I have the yeah. right to read history in light of me being at the center or mm. my people being at the mm-hmm. center. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but, but my citizenship is not here. My yes. citizenship is in heaven. Yes. My citizenship doesn't come with my skin. My citizenship comes from the sealing of the land, the love of yes. God marking it out. Yes. And and it's it's so much easier to do babble and build your own mm. kingdom. You build your mm. own tower to heaven, which is what mm. a lot of the American project, good and bad, mm. is doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to say, no, no, I need grace. Like it doesn't matter if I pulled myself up on my own bootstraps. It doesn't matter that I have the Protestant work ethic. Um, mm. All of the work of my hands doesn't amount to a hill of beans, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. But but the work of Christ on my behalf means everything. Mm. The work of Christ isn't just for me. Mm. It's for all my brothers and sisters in Malawi and mm-hmm. Zimbabwe. It's for all my brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 
next door. It's for all my mm-hmm. brothers and sisters across the world. It's it's for every every one of us, mm-hmm. um, regardless mm-hmm. of culture, regardless of, of food. Yeah. yeah, no, that's excellent. I mean, two things, two takeaways that I get from some of the things that you've said. One is, uh, first of all, yeah, uh, white Americans do not have the, um, they have not monopolized all of the, this is, you know, this is about me because I know one thing is for Koreans. We used to, I, when I was young, I used to hear a sermon. I heard a sermon once saying, you know, Korean is called Joseon in Korean, like uh, the old word. And so they would say, we are the Joseon people. <laughs> I heard that in a sermon. <laughs> I heard that in a sermon. I, you know, I was a young kid. I didn't understand anything. <laughs> I, it's just, Everyone tries to corner the market, I think, themselves. We all, that's a human thing. And I've come to realize that, you know, in the end, everyone thinks that their people is the most godly, the most special, the most unique. But I love what you said about Jesus being the true Babel, Mm -hmm. or he is the true Babel, the empty Babel. He, He undoes what Babel did. So in in many ways, actually, we see that revelation is sort of, you know, and another professor that both of us, uh, another biblical scholar, theologian that we've both been influenced by is Meredith Klein. And um, his whole point is that Genesis, really kingdom prologue, it's uh, so much happens there. And revelation is essentially uh, the, the renewal or the, you know, the new creation. And, but what you said I, I never saw that like in verse nine and that makes complete sense. Jesus being sort of undoing what man had tried to do because we had tried to be like God, to be God essentially. Yeah. And we're yeah. still trying to be like God and God. And it always messes up and it always divides. Yep. It always separates. It always creates divisions. And in Christ there, he brings about a unity that transcends language ethnicity race there's no one like him who can do that right when you've experienced it right i mean like every time you go to africa i mean there's a a connection and a bond yeah. with the brothers yes. there yes. even though you can't communicate sometimes yes just the 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 eyes and the smile and the the mm. recognition that we're we are one we are together like like George mm-hmm. like, we are together we are one yes because christ has made us one and yes. that's not that's not a platitude it's not a hallmark card like that is a spiritual reality mm. it is true in heaven even now like that that is a heavenly reality that john mm-hmm. saw that mm-hmm. we participate in in part now but mm-hmm. one day we will see it in full now mm. and, and the more we look forward to our future the more we understand like who we're supposed to be now right yeah jeff we haven't even talked about satan (laughs) we haven't even talked about uh that's not important (laughs) now can i can i ask you would you be willing to do one more maybe sometime in the future finish off revelation it's great yeah because uh honestly there's a lot i still want to ask you and um like we haven't talked about the millennium i feel like (laughs) rapture i know uh, you got to get I, all of it, right? <laughs> got to do it all. <laughs> got to do it all. We haven't talked about the woman and the dragon, you know, Babylon. 
So all that. So if you'd be open to that, because we're, we're at the end of our time, but I, I, there's just so much. And this has been so awesome. I'd really love to cover that. I feel like it would. And just your insights on this has been really great. So if you'd be open to that, if we could do a part two. I'd love to. It'd be great. Oh, oh man. Thank you so much. Do you mind praying for us? For sure. Yeah. Be close. Father God, thank you for my brother, Sam. Thank you for um, his pastor's heart, um, for his um, love for you and for your word, uh, God, for his love for your church. And I pray your blessings on him. I thank you so much, God, for uh, the way that you have used him to um, care for and encourage and uh, build me up. Um, I thank you, God, for the way that he's done that for so many um, in our lives, for so many in, in his church and, and in other places. Um, Lord, I, I pray that um, you would use this time, this conversation to encourage and just build up your church. Um, thank you, Lord God, for, for Wellspring and for the partnership that our churches share together. Thank you, Lord God, that um, even beyond our this worldly partnership, um, we are connected. We are together. We are one. Um, in, in your throne room, God, we're one. And, and even though we're only one, our oneness is only partial now. Um, one day it will be full. And we look forward to that day, Father. We long for that day. We long for the day that we can see Jesus. Lord Jesus, give us a, a deeper longing for you. And, and please come, come soon, Lord. We're ready for you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us. And thanks so much, Jeff. That was a blessing. And uh, yeah, see you all next time. Bye.